When 17-year-old track athlete Emily Cole went to bed early in her hotel room the night before an important meet, she wasn't thinking that she might not wake up again. She wasn't feeling well, but she had no idea how dangerously close to death she actually was. Had her coach not checked in on her that night and tried to wake her, there's no question she would not be alive today. So how on earth could an incredibly fit and healthy high school athlete go from running with her teammates one day to finding herself waking up from a coma two days later? The surprising answer is healthy eating. I'll let Emily tell you the details of her brush with death, and it's not a spoiler to say she's absolutely thriving now. Emily is not only excelling on the track at D1 Duke University, but she's building a successful career as a student athlete. Thanks to a change in the law that allows student athletes to finally profit off of their own name, image, and likeness, Emily has written a book called The Player's Plate. She has a wildly successful TikTok and Instagram, and she teaches other student athletes how to market themselves on her podcast, The Player's Platform. Welcome to The Planted Runner. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and my mission is to help you improve your running, your mindset, and your life with science-backed training and plant-based nutrition. Today, you'll learn the common mistake that runners make with healthy eating that almost killed Emily Cole, the lessons Emily learned about what true nourishment is for athletes, and how nutrition for athletes is so much more than what you put on your plate. Don't forget to stay tuned all the way to the end of the episode for another Mental Strength Minute. Fortify your mind in 60 seconds or less. And now, here's my conversation with Emily Cole. Welcome to The Planted Runner, Emily. Thank you so much, Claire. I'm so excited to be here and be on the show. I am happy to have you and uh, we're going to go, we're going to talk about a lot of things. The first thing I think people want to hear about who are not familiar with you is your incredible story. It's a near death experience with hyponatremia. So a lot of the people listening right now are familiar with that from running marathons. It happens when you drink too much water, but for you, it happened in a way that I've never really heard about happening before. So tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, for sure. So I am now a senior running track and cross country at Duke. And so this was four years ago. I actually wrote a book from the experience and it published on the four year anniversary date of whenever I went into the coma. Um, but it was super weird because I had done basketball and volleyball up until my senior year of high school and just started focusing on running that year. And at the same time, I had never really known anything about sports nutrition or eating healthy. I ate fast food all the time, kind of ate whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And I, so that senior year, whenever I started focusing on running and eating healthier, I was fascinated by how incredibly it changed my relationship with running, how much better I felt, how much I looked forward to every workout and really enjoyed pushing myself rather than kind of dreading it. And I actually got to a point where I was eating so healthy. I definitely gotten into a more like 
unhealthy relationship with that where I was only deeming certain foods as healthy and being more restrictive with what I was eating. But I was eating foods that were generally clean and, and more natural. So they didn't have sodium in them really. And then drinking a lot of water. And I didn't know what electrolytes were or why they were important as an athlete. Um, coupled with the fact that I am just a very particularly salty sweater and, you know, there's a spectrum for everybody. Mm -hmm. And some people just need to replenish a lot more electrolytes than others. And so it actually developed over a couple of months towards right before my state cross country meet, I had qualified for the first time ever. And I was super excited. I had kind of put all this weight on the meet and, and how I was going to do in it. And I was like, I just have to get through the meet and, you know, then I can kind of fix things because what was weird was I had definitely started being able to tell something was wrong. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really able to focus as much in class. I wasn't really able to be as engaged in conversation with people around me. It was like once I ate a meal, I could really think clearly. And I was just definitely more depressed, more anxious, and didn't understand what was happening to me because I was running well. And to everyone else and to myself, like on the outside, everything looked like I was doing everything perfectly. And think that's what the biggest scare was, was that it looks like to everyone else and to myself, I thought I was doing everything perfectly. Mm -hmm. And then the night before or that weekend before my state meet, I had actually started feeling very sick and we were driving, we had driven up to Austin for the meet from Houston, which is like a four hour drive. And, uh, we thought, you know, we just chalked it up to car sickness or where we had gotten lunch, but started feeling very sick. And I actually threw up a lot and that's what got my sodium levels even more dangerously mm -hmm. low because what I did have in me was gone. And that night I had basically not been feeling well. I had just gone to go lay down and my parents had gone out to dinner with some friends and they had asked my coach to come in and check on me with my roommate. And so he came in and basically it looked like I was asleep. He could have let me keep sleeping, but instead he decided to shake my shoulder. And whenever he did that, I looked like I had a seizure and my muscles convulsed. And mm. so he called the ambulance and if he hadn't done that, I actually wouldn't have made it through the night. Um, so once I got to the hospital, I was in a coma for two days and it was self-induced and they had to very slowly raise my sodium levels back up. But that's kind of how it happened, even though it's a very unique situation. I know it's much more common in like in the middle of a marathon and people aren't getting enough sodium. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What a scary, scary story. So what is your relationship with salt and healthy eating now? <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a great question. It's funny. I actually for the next like year and a half, I actually carried a giant salt shaker in my backpack kind of as a joke. And I like named her <laughs> Sal and my all my teammates like loved it. Um, but I make sure to salt all my foods now. And I've actually since realized that I also have celiac, which mm -hmm. I, you know, for those who don't know, basically means I have an autoimmune reaction to whenever I eat gluten. So that also makes it harder to get enough sodium, but I just make sure that I, I get a lot of electrolytes and mainly it's with my fluids. And I found element, which has been extremely oh, life changing yeah. for me because mm -hmm. it's got a thousand milligrams of sodium in it. So that's definitely been something that I've really started incorporating more into my daily routine. Yeah. Yeah. I know element well. So we're going to go into a lot of uh, the topics that you brought up in your new book, The Player's Plate. It's uh, a great read. Uh, but before I get into Thank it, you. I really want to talk about like behind the scenes. So there used <laughs> to be a rule where college athletes could not make money. And, exactly. and now you can. <laughs> so yeah. is, was that any influence on this book, your decision to write it or, or how has that affected you? Yeah. I mean, so the name image and likeness law is changing 
has absolutely changed my life. I mean, I would not be able to have anywhere near the platform that I have right now, if not for that, and been able to work with the incredible companies that I have without those laws changing. And what's crazy is I started writing the book before I knew that those laws were going to change. And so I initially thought I would not be able to include any of my experiences as a Duke athlete and really have to tread that line very carefully talking about me being a D1 athlete and making it a very separate entity, not really being able to promote it on my pages. And it's been really beautiful how it all kind of played out at perfect timing because now I'm the first athlete that's gotten to publish a book with my name, image, and likeness. And learning about like this whole new environment has been such an incredible journey to be a part of because now I've really been able to kind of be at the forefront of that and now starting to teach other athletes about them trying to build their brands and find what values they want to align with and companies they want to work with. And that's kind of how I started my podcast, which is focused on name, image, and likeness. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, there's there's so much we could go into there, but I really <laughs> want to focus on the nutrition part of it. But I'm so happy yeah. that that has changed your life really. And, and you, cause you know, people were making money this whole time and it's nice that the athletes are now able to make, to make money off of exactly. their own name, image and likeness. So, um, so, you know, nutrition for athletes can kind of be a tricky subject for a lot of reasons, because, you know, athletes are, not only are they talented naturally, but they have a work ethic that's really strong. They tend to be perfectionists, always wanting to go one more, always want to do the half a percent of whatever it is to get better and better. And that comes to nutrition too. And so a lot of athletes can cross the line without knowing it. So how do you, as a high performance athlete, how do you ride that line? That's a great question. And honestly, that's what a lot of my book is about. I, you know, I've had my own personal experiences with trying to find that line, but you know, I think the process of writing the book was so cool for me to be able to learn too, because I interviewed a bunch of elite athletes and registered dietitians and kind of was able to teach these core concepts through their story. So for example, one of the athletes was Jesse Thomas, and he talks about in college having, you know, more restrictive eating behaviors and really dealing with being more perfectionism around what you're eating and fueling. And then even like the team dynamic of how you're influencing people around you with your words and your actions around food. And the chapter of his title is aim for a B plus. Mm -hmm. And it was so cool to hear about he shaped his whole, you know, Brit, he's co-founder of Picky Bars and his whole life now as a dad with young children, you know, letting them eat Lucky Charms and letting them enjoy all of the fun foods too, and really have that childhood experience. I think that was such a cool thing for me to learn from him about having this kind of 80-20 balance. And I feel mm -hmm. like we hear that a lot about finding balance in your life. But for me in particular, finding that, I it was a big shift in once I got to college, I think I'm extremely grateful for the girls on my team and the people that I'm around on the day to day, just because they have such a good relationship with food and we are able to have open and honest conversations about it. And obviously no one's perfect. I'm not perfect every single day. It's at trying to find a new balance and figure out how, you know, what works best for me. But I guess finding the balance, a couple of things that I've started to incorporate, um, this isn't really finding balance, but something that I had to work on um, initially was just getting enough carbohydrates. Right. I didn't fully understand how important simple carbohydrates were. Like 
easy, you know, white bread, white rice, how important that was for me in a high mileage sport. And just like, that's not even finding balance. That's just getting what you need and fuel wise. And then, you know, towing the line of also letting yourself have these experiences with your team. Another person that I interviewed was Alan Lim and he is an incredible, incredible person who's helped a lot of high performance athletes that have gotten to that point, trying to toe that dangerous line. And he's actually written a few cookbooks. And one of them is about the importance of eating with your teammates. Mm -hmm. And so I have a whole chapter about the importance of eating with other people and how incredible that is for your mental health, which obviously then has an impact on your performance. And so that's something I've really embodied trying to find this balance as I've gotten older and more, you know, aware about these different tendencies that we can get into in high-performing sports like cross-country, you know, making sure that I go to the team dinner, making sure that I go to the team ice cream and really taking part of these experiences with my teammates I'm going to be out there competing with and enjoying foods that make me happy at Mm -hmm. the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I loved, I loved the part of the book with Jesse Thomas, who, who talked about aiming for B plus, which that's a tough concept for people who yep. <laughs> are always looking for A plus. They're not aiming for exactly. B plus, but you need to do that. Not just in what you eat. You need to do that in training too. If you're always trying exactly. to knock it out of the park every single time, that's a recipe for burnout, injury, all of that. So it's, exactly. it's great that it's, uh, it works with your nutrition too. Yeah, I'm going to be talking to his wife soon. I'm super excited about that. So oh she's my gosh, gonna, that's I so know, exciting. I know. <laughs> that's a little scoop. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. Oh, yeah, but it's so true. It like applies to every other aspect of your life as well. And I think that's another reason why I called the book The Player's Plate because of the saying, like not having too much on your plate. Mm-hmm. As athletes, our relationship with food and sports nutrition is so much more than what is physically on our plates. It's also about the societal and psychological pressures that come along with what we think we should be eating and what the people around us are eating and all of the thoughts that we have around food as well and, and how we feel in our uniform and our body image and confidence. So that I think that the title really helps embody that you know, connection to that aiming for a B plus applies to all the different categories of our lives as Mm -hmm. athletes. Yeah. And I I would love to ask you about that as a college athlete about, about body image, because especially in a sport where, you know, you're running in a bikini, basically, everybody Mm -hmm. is looking at your body. Everybody still has that mentality that lighter is faster. And that's, we know that's not always true, but that's still a mentality that's out there. So, you know, are, are girls today, I should say women, are women today still under that kind of pressure in college sports to look a certain way? It's a great question. And I feel like there is always going to be some level or degree of, you know, younger girls having different thoughts around that. But I'm so incredibly grateful for the great role models in professional athletes that we have today, mm-hmm. you know, like Elise Kopecky, like Shalane Flanagan, like uh, Elise Cranny, talking about the importance of feeling your body and, you know, reds and amenorrhea and making sure that you are feeling yourself enough and not totally buying into the whole lighter is faster. I need to be eating less and controlling more mentality. And I can definitely tell how that's made a huge difference in the conversations that we have around food and the culture in college athletics. I feel like it's definitely gotten a ton better. We still obviously have a lot of room to grow. I think there will always be room to grow, but 
you know, if we didn't have those professional athletes setting such a good example, it would, I think, be, I know, be a lot harder for us to be able to have this great culture around it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as as girls, especially girls who were successful in high school and then they try to have a successful career in college, you know, a lot of changes happen to a woman's body in those years. And, you know, we're not maybe as fast as we used to be while things are changing. Did you have to go through, you know, an adjustment period as an athlete? Absolutely. I actually think mine was a bit younger. So my freshman year of high school, I had pretty decent times. And then my sophomore and by decent, I mean like not that decent. Like I I didn't think I was going to be able to run in college. (laughs) Um, And then sophomore and junior year, I, you know, my times were a lot slower, but I'm very grateful. I had a very unique path in that I was focused on volleyball and basketball. So I wasn't really as worried about it. I didn't have all of my self-worth in running. Mm. And I'm extremely grateful for that because I didn't really think anything of it. I was just like, well, you know, my body is powering me through and helping me be successful in these other sports right now. And they're obviously not as directly tied to your fitness and, you know, how much you're weighing and what you're eating and things like that and your performance. So being able to have that you know, identity separator, I think played a big role in me continuing to have a healthy relationship with food and running. And then my senior year being able to kind of really, you know, own this new body that I had and find peace with it and find success in it. And then find, you know, way faster times than even I did my freshman year. Mm -hmm. And I wish that that was something that, you know, every girl could go through because we're all going to have to go through those changes. But as long as you don't try and force your body to not go through them, you'll be so much better off for them afterwards. You're going to be stronger and faster and more confident. But if you don't let your body go through those changes, it will have negative effects that can stay with you for years afterwards. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in your book, you talk a lot about what you've learned about nutrition, which is a, is a ton. And But the one thing that you made sure to point out and emphasize is that you're not a registered dietitian. And if you are struggling, that is the person you need to see. Why was that important to you? I mean, that was, that was my main important point that I wanted to get across. Even when I first started writing the book, I was like, I know that the most important thing is I don't want anyone to see the book, read the book and be like, oh my gosh, why is this college runner putting out a resource that she doesn't have credentials on? And so the whole time it was just, how can I make sure that I'm delivering this in a way where it's not my words, it's, it's, you know, information and, you know, research from these professionals and lessons from these professionals that it just coming from a more relatable source for these younger athletes. And so I was able to put in some of my experiences, which are obviously, you know, my own words, my own experiences, but then have a bunch of research and stories coming from these credentialed registered dietitians. And obviously I made the first chapter about the importance of this title, what it means. Cause I think that a lot of athletes don't, don't understand that importance of a registered dietitian or understand the difference between that and nutritionist. Right. And that was the biggest thing. I was like, the most important lesson that I can get across is to, you know, if they read one chapter, I want it to be that one to know who to reach out to and who to believe. Cause there are so many people on social media saying that, you know, giving recommendations on food and advice. And a lot of them are not healthy and not helping and don't have the credentials behind their name. So 
it was really important for me to make that the first lesson and really convey that, you know, I was just being the messenger between these two sources Mm -hmm. and, and teach athletes how to get in contact with registered dietitians. So a couple of the recommendations that I gave were obviously finding some that have worked with athletes similar to yourself, whether that's athletes that have played in the same sport or athletes that are similar to your age or, you know, also collegiate athletes. And then also, you know, if you are in the position where you can pay to work with a registered dietitian, so many of them have incredible resources on their social media Mm -hmm. accounts. And if they've done the hours and the time to earn that title, they will make it very clear that they are a registered dietitian on, you know, their bio and, and their description. So really putting out that resource and, and making sure that the next generation of athletes knows where they can learn how to maximize their nutrition was just really important to me. Yeah. And and the other reason to work with somebody if if you are struggling or is that it, there's not a one size fits all approach, you know, like exactly. you're not going to eat the same thing as your teammate necessarily. Exactly. Right. Right. So how did, how did the um, diagnosis of your celiac disease, how did that affect you? Yeah. So actually last cross country season, I, I've dealt with amenorrhea for several years mm. and I was so confused by it because I've had, you know, several check-ins with a nutritionist, making sure that I'm fueling enough. You know, I'm the most diligent out of anyone on the team, making sure that I eat enough throughout the day, have my snack within 60 minutes after working out. And I felt like I was just doing everything right. And I still was having that clear sign from my body that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I knew obviously that it was something that I needed to pay attention to. And I had so many meetings with professionals trying to figure out what it was and couldn't really figure it out. And then last cross country season, it was actually pretty exacerbated because I was training very well. Like I felt the fittest I'd ever felt in my life. But then in my races, I was just absolutely hitting a wall, like bombing right in the Mm. middle. I'd get around three or four K and then just could not run for the last portion of it. And it wasn't even, it was not mental at all. It was very physical. I was like, I just got to a point where I felt like I almost lost consciousness Mm. and I was just trying to stand up for the rest of the race. And, you know, my parents now were like, Emily, I wish you would have just stepped off the course and not pushed your heart to those extremes. But I'm definitely someone who was kind of raised to never quit. And so (laughs) I finished every single race for better or for worse. Um, But after I finished regionals, I mean, it was a pretty traumatic experience. I'd gotten around 4K, was in a great spot. And then the last K, I remember it just taking everything within me to be able to stand for the last K. And I finished almost at the very back of the competition. I was like, this, something is wrong. So I got back to campus and went straight to my team doctors. I was like, can we please do all the tests? Can we please figure out like what is going on? Cause clearly my body is giving me these signs. And it wasn't happening and in training, just in races. Exactly. Exactly. Uh. So the kicker is what we figured out was I generally was eating a pretty gluten-free diet, um, just because of the things I was cooking and, you know, my, preferences with what I was eating. But then right before races, I would carb load and we'd have a big bowl Mm. of pasta as a team the night before. And I'd be like kind of carb loading with a lot of foods that had gluten in them those days leading up and that morning of the race, even though I wasn't doing that the rest of the week. And so that's why it was so contrasted. And, you know, for those who don't fully know, celiac is an autoimmune disease. So whenever you eat the gluten, it causes your body to attack the villa on the inner lining of your stomach. So you can't absorb nutrients 
and it's super inflammatory. And so my body was kind of going through chaotic mess whenever I stepped on mm. the line, even though I thought I had been preparing myself well. And my, my doctor had been kind of leaning towards getting it checked for a while. But then once I got that checked, I mean, everything started to click. I, it was, they had to do an, an upper endoscopy. So I went under and that whole experience was also scary. And, but you know, thankfully they, thankfully, not thankfully, it came back positive and I was able to have this change and, and really be able to understand what was best for me. And what was beautiful was I didn't know this for the whole process of writing the book. And so I was kind of having this imposter syndrome of like, I'm doing everything right, but I'm still not able to see kind of the benefit that I know I should be able to from eating healthy. And so once I figured this out last track season, I was able to have a breakout season and, you know, run all of the times I had dreamed of running in the steeplechase and really be able to see the work that I'd put into this nutrition journey come to fruition. And it was cool because I was actually writing the conclusion and doing my final edits on the book at the time. So I got to talk about that kind of full circle moment and the importance of keeping an open mind and always continuing to learn with your nutrition journey in my conclusion. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Back to the conversation in just a minute. But first, did you know that I've written a book? Yep. The Planted Runner, Running Your Best with Plant-Based Nutrition will be officially out in January. If you're a fan of my work, this is the best way to get everything I teach about running and plant-based nutrition all in one place. It's not currently available for pre-orders on Amazon, but you can reserve your copy now at theplantedrunner.com slash book. Pre-orders are incredibly helpful to gauge demand and let the robots who create those bestseller lists know which books to prioritize. So get yourself a little post-holiday treat at theplantedrunner.com slash book. That's awesome. That's awesome. And now you are the picture of health. You have your period, right? <laughs> I hope. Yes, well, thank you. Yeah. I hope. Yeah, that is one thing that we women cannot ignore. You should have a period exactly. that is absolutely normal and something is wrong if you don't get it. So I'm glad that you were able to share that with the world. Um, and yep. it's in your book now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know, so so what do you consider healthy eating now? I mean, you, you do want to eat healthy. We all want to eat healthy. So what does that look exactly. like? For me, I just really try and make sure that I'm getting, you know, a good balance of the different mac macronutrients throughout the day. And especially with my increased loads and not being able to eat gluten, something I 
focus on is making sure that I'm getting enough carbs throughout the day. Um, but finding that balance and, and eating healthy, I think is, it's a great balance of that. And then also having foods that I enjoy and treating myself. And so I'll like, especially, you know, whenever my team is going out, for, I mentioned this earlier, but whenever my team is going out to have a dessert or going out to eat, like being a part of that. And it's actually, it's funny you bring that up because I was just having a conversation. We're kind of having a team conversation around um, food earlier. And that was something that was brought up was like, you know, choosing the healthier option over something else. And like, understanding that it's still totally okay to want to have, you know, a healthier option for a meal and want to give yourself that great fuel. It's just as long as you're choosing that because it's what you want and something that, Mm -hmm. you know, is still adding, you know, something you're really going to enjoy rather than ignoring something that you want or you're craving because you should be eating something else. And also putting foods into certain categories of like, oh, well, this is healthy and this isn't healthy. Like, putting buckets like that is not okay. And so really just making sure that you're viewing food as food and understanding that certain foods can help you more at different times. Um, and that's been something that I feel like has really benefited me in, in finding that balance for myself. Yeah, absolutely. So for some people, they, they are really helped by tracking their food. You know, if they don't know what they're doing and, you know, maybe even they're working with a registered dietitian and Mm -hmm. they start tracking their food. So just like we have a watch on our wrist that tracks every step we run, a lot of people uh, find that tracking their food is really helpful. I would love for you to kind of go through the pros and cons of that. Yeah. So I love that you bring that up because I actually have a chapter on macros where I interview Peyton Chadwick, who is an athlete who's sponsored by macro stacks. And I actually first started learning about nutrition, like learning how to track my macros in high school. And I talk about this exact thing in the chapter because it can be such an incredible tool for athletes to learn how to build a balanced meal and how to make sure that they are eating enough and how to time that nutrition, you know, well throughout the day. And whenever you're working with a registered dietitian specifically, it can be extremely powerful in helping you understand what you're giving your body and how you can change what you're giving your body to improve how you're feeling and how you're performing. And kind of where I drew the line and drew the distinction was that can be a tool that you can use for a short period of time with the guidance of a professional. And it's whenever, you know, that becomes something that you want to do 24 seven and, you know, like do for the rest of your life, or you let control where you want to go eat or what you're doing with your day. That's whenever it becomes unhealthy Mm -hmm. and it can be, it's a very fine line for athletes finding, you know, how to use it as a tool and learn from it and not let it start to control them. And I talk about in the chapter how it's very easy for athletes who do start to track to get into more of this orthorexic state where they only deem certain foods as healthy and start to cut out, you know, certain food groups. And, and for a lot of people, if you are tracking your food, it actually might mean going more towards packaged food because it's easier to scan and and put into the app, which is, you know, so super counterintuitive because we want to be cooking more and, and having more whole foods in our diet and listening to our hunger cues. So that was one thing I talked about was how it can be very helpful in this education and learning, but there's no way for an app or a program to fully encapsulate 
how your needs are changing and varying day to day and hour to hour. You might have an off day where you're not working out, but you ran 14 miles yesterday and you're running eight tomorrow. So you still need to eat a good amount of carbs today and fuel yourself maybe more than you're burning. And that's not something that an app can fully take and, and appreciate and give you that knowledge which is why having the help of a professional can can be so important in that journey. Yeah, absolutely. It's like when your Garmin says that you're being unproductive, you know, <laughs> you know, you're like, wait a second, I'm not being unproductive. I'm running. Yeah. What are you talking about? It's so funny. It's like so many times I'll like go to practice and I'll go to start my watch and it's like, take a rest day. I'm like, that's so awkward. <laughs> I know. Yeah. The tracking thing, I'm glad that you um, brought it up as a tool because it actually can be super helpful um, if you mm-hmm. don't know what you're doing. I remember I I was, um, I started tracking at one point and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm eating these healthy smoothies. I'm throwing this in here and that in here and some avocados and some walnuts. Yep. And I, <laughs> and I was eating, I, you know, 800 calorie smoothies and I did, had no yeah. idea. So it can be helpful yeah. <laughs> to, as an eye opener, as a snapshot, um, because it really can say, well, wait a second, I only ate 40 grams of protein today. That's not enough, but exactly. But yeah, just, but just like anything, like the watch, like the scale, your apps yep. can all kind of pull you in the negative direction, which we certainly yeah. don't want. And, and finding that balance for yourself is going to look different for everyone, which is why, you know, it's important to involve other people on that journey with mm-hmm. you so that you aren't just letting yourself kind of, you know, get too obsessed with it or get too wrapped up in it on your own. Um, and, you know, to your point, whenever I started tracking, that was like the best I had felt my entire life. I was like, wow, it's incredible. The power that having the right nutrients at the right time can have and making you feel and helping you recover and helping you perform better. And so for athletes being able to know that that is a tool that they can take advantage of, but then also be educated on the dangers and the importance that they respect that it can become something that is unhealthy is super important for them to understand at the very beginning before they get started with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I want to go back to what you said about eating with others, you know, it's, um, a lot of times, especially, you know, when life is busy, you just grab something, you you know, or you you are on a run by yourself, so you're going to eat by yourself or all of this stuff. We, we kind of normalize that, especially runners who tend to be type A, they tend to be kind of introverted sometimes, you, you exactly. know, and I don't think we talk about that. I don't think we talk about eating with others all the time. I mean, we talk about how running with others can be helpful for performance. You know, you're going to get the best out of yourself in a race. You're not going to get the best out of yourself running on the track by yourself. You know, something about the power of being with others, but we don't talk about how eating with others makes a difference. So like how, how has that um, made a difference for you? Gosh, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about because I just think it's, it's so, like you mentioned, it's so, not acknowledged and, and people don't fully realize how prevalent it is. And, you know, in a lot of sports, but mainly endurance sports, when you get to that higher level and the high performing level, it's so easy for these elite athletes to feel like 
they need to be at home cooking, getting the perfect ratio of macronutrients, getting exactly what they need, the perfect recovery meal at the perfect time, and and really just getting way too controlling with mm-hmm. what they're eating and when they're eating. And it's a very common story for athletes in this position to get into that more isolated position where they are eating alone. And it's been shown time and time again to really have a negative impact on their health and, and, and cause athletes to become depressed and lonely. And one of the important topics that, you know, Alan brings up and I talk about in that chapter is I named it social sugar because it's like (laughs) you're getting this energy from the people around you. And, and what's incredible is no, there's no way to quantify the incredible impact eating with others can have on your performance, but it's great that we're having such a, you know, increased awareness and conversation around mental health in athletes right now. Yes. And there is nothing more human than eating a meal with someone else. Mm -hmm. And especially whenever you're on a team where you're competing with each other or for each other, that's why I really tried to make sure that the book wasn't just geared toward runners and it was geared toward all athletes of all sports. And like this particular topic, if you're going out there and competing with each other, you know, this bonding experience of y'all eating together can help you compete for and with each other better on the court or on the field and, and really be able to compete for each other rather than, you know, thinking it's all about yourself. And that's such an underrated aspect and, you know, asset that we can have as athletes is that bond with the people around us and really feeling known and loved by the people around us and being able to share that you know, intimate experience of eating with someone else Mm -hmm. is so important, especially for these athletes who are spending a lot of their day alone already. Right. Absolutely. And it's important to know that the best woman on the team is not just eating salad all the time, right? Exactly. (laughs) She is fueling with real food. Yeah. (laughs) Great. And if she's not, then maybe we can have a conversation about that. That's right. That's right. (laughs) So, so what's next for you? More books? What, what kind of research would you like to see done in the future when it comes to nutrition for athletes? Oh my gosh. Such a great question. So I would love to see more research obviously with regard to specifically female athletes, Mm -hmm. you know, it's been shown time and time again that we are just severely lacking. I remember listening to a Woot podcast and I think it was with Louisa Nicola, but I can't remember exactly who it was with. And they talked about, you know, this incredible research gap in four female athletes and how we are not just small men and we have completely different needs and our bodies are wired differently and making sure that, you know, these studies are being performed on other women and not just like we're basing our needs and, and, and what we need to feel ourselves with based on studies that were all performed on, you know, 40 year old men when you're an 18 mm-hmm. year old girl who has a very different body and very different needs. So I think that that's definitely something that I'm, you know, super inspired and, and glad to see so many women really doing a lot of work to change that narrative. Um, but obviously a lot of research in that area. And then also I think this specific area of more the psychological relationship with fueling and how that can impact your performance. I think that's something that could use a lot more research and for the more analytical type A athletes could really help them put a little more effort into being connected with the people around them rather than like having drive as an athlete is so great. It obviously helps you reach high achieving goals, but 
you know, understanding that you can use that to help yourself be happier as a person and live more balanced life in general as well. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, most most people listening to this probably have daughters your age. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> yep. we have a little skewed older crowd here. Um, so what advice would you give parents uh, of of people who of runners who are in college who are trying to yeah. become athletes? What what kind of things should we be telling women your age? Yeah, I mean, I I talk about this a little bit in the book, just like the importance of your words around nutrition and the way that you talk about food. And you know, I I'll I'll tell a story as an example. This this past summer, I was in. Uh, the summer before last, I was in Colorado and I went out to eat dinner with my friends and my friends' parents. And because I've written a book about it, because I'm so passionate about sports nutrition, inevitably people like know me as the girl that eats healthy, quote unquote. Right. And I remember ordering a burger and I didn't think anything of it. I, you know, just ordered a burger for dinner and it was like a shock to them. They're like, <laughs> what? She ordered a burger? Like, is this a cheat day? Like, what <laughs> is going on? And it was so funny because you know, thankfully I was at such a healthy place with myself and my food that I didn't let those comments affect me. And I was very well aware that like I was, you know, the iron in the beef was great for me. It was a grass fed patty and I had like whatever run a long run that morning and I really needed extra carbs. And I talk about this in the book and I was like, but what's more important is that it doesn't even matter if I had run a long run that morning or what I had done that day. You know, I just ordered a burger because I wanted to, and it wasn't a cheat day. I knew that it was fuel that my body needed at the moment. And it was exactly what I wanted at the moment. And that comment could have had such a negative effect on me if I was in a precarious place with food. So I guess the main thing I, the main recommendation I would give is just, you know, don't try and tell them what to do. Like really listen to what their <laughs> yeah. needs are and, and what they want. And if they are, if you do think that they might be struggling, like, you know, don't be afraid to talk to them about it. A lot of times it can be hard for people to bring that up themselves and they don't want to burden anyone else with it or even if they want to talk about it. But even just pointing them out to maybe an older role model like Elise Cranny or someone that really has put out a lot of good content and you know, resources about their own journey with nutrition. I think pointing them towards stories like that could be really eye-opening into helping them relate to it. And, you know, they might not understand that they're in a precarious place with food or they're thinking about it so much or that it's not normal and that it's not something that is helping them be, you know, the best athlete ever is that they're trying to eat super clean all the time. So I really think that helping them find an older role model in the sport can be the best way to do it without you feeling like, you know, you're just trying to give them information and it's for mom. It's like, oh, well, mom said that, but she doesn't know what I'm going through right now. Right. Things like that. Right. <laughs> it's, it's important to take the pressure off. I, I have a daughter yeah. and I make it, and obviously I work in fitness and so nutrition is super important to me. So, but I also try to be chill at dinner yeah. <laughs> and not yeah. talk about it so that it's not yeah. a big deal. It, yeah, I, th I think that's great advice. Well, Emily, I think that's a kind of a perfect place to wrap it up. You are pretty easy to find on the internet, but why don't you tell the listeners where we can find you? Of course. So my book is just theplayersplate.com. And then you can find me on mainly both Instagram and TikTok. I share a lot more about my journey and my book journey on Instagram. And it's just at Emily Cole, E-M-I-L-Y-C-O-L-E. So pretty simple there. 
Perfect. Well, Emily, thanks so much for being on the show and sharing your journey with us. It was really great. Of course. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I loved Emily's book, The Player's Plate, because it's great for runners of all ages. But if you have a student athlete in your life, it is definitely a must read. One thing Emily and I share is that we've both written books about nutrition for athletes, and both of us are clear that we are not registered dietitians. I think we both take a more journalistic approach to the topic, gathering and sharing advice from academics in a way that everyone can understand. I'm certified in sports nutrition, but if you need specialized help with your diet, look for an RD who works with runners. And now it's time for the Mental Strength Minute. Fortify your mind in 60 seconds or less. Today's topic is called temptation bundling. This is when you pair something you really don't feel like doing with something that feels indulgent or maybe even a little naughty. But the key is that you can only do that specific indulgent thing when it's paired with the activity that you don't wanna do. For example, if you're trying to motivate yourself to run on the treadmill, Pair it with a trashy reality show or a naughty podcast that you can only enjoy on the mill. Instead of dreading your workout, you'll learn to look forward to it. This tip also works well in the kitchen if you're trying to get inspired to cook more meals at home. Pop in some headphones, listen to something fun, and create something delicious. I want to thank everyone who has subscribed and left a nice comment on YouTube. I'm creating free custom training plans for five lucky subscribers that were chosen randomly last month. Want to find out if it's you? Check your YouTube comment on The Planted Runner to see if you've won. If you didn't win this time, I'll do another contest soon. But if you need a training plan right now, head over to theplantedrunner.com plans to get yours before prices go up at the end of the year. That is theplantedrunner.com plans. Thank you so much for listening to the Planted Runner podcast or watching it on YouTube. The ability for me to make this show absolutely depends on the amount of listens, downloads, reviews on Apple Podcasts, and ratings on Spotify. So if you have already reviewed, thank you. If not, please take a moment after your run today to give it five stars. Have a great run today. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flojo. Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionu. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network.